Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Psalms chapter number 60. Psalms chapter number 60. I want to read one verse of scripture tonight. And uh, I feel like this is where the Lord directed me for this evening. And uh, I don't believe I'll probably get finished. But this is where I believe he's directed me. And I want to be obedient to his voice. Psalm 60 and verse 1. The Bible says, O God, thou hast cast us off. Thou hast scattered us. Thou hast been displeased. Oh, turn thyself to us again. Thou hast cast us off. Thou hast scattered us. Thou hast been displeased. Turn thyself to us again. For a little while tonight, I want to speak along these lines. No, no uh, lights glistening along this title, but just very simply, the displeasure, the displeasure of the Lord. The displeasure of the Lord. Amen. Will you join me right now in prayer? Father, I come to you tonight. I'm thankful, Lord, God, for your spirit that we have felt. God, for undoubtedly, Lord, we have witnessed your presence, God, from the moment that we have stepped into the prayer room until now. And I pray, oh God, that that same spirit, God, that we were making connection with there, that we would make connection with now. God, through the ministry, Lord, of your word, the teaching, Father, of your word, God, enlighten our hearts and our minds. I know God will be made better by this book. Lord, I'm not just taking a portion of it or a part of it, but I'm taking the whole book, Lord, and allowing it, God, to apply to my life, God, as you would see fit. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that we pray, amen. And the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated this evening. I, I like and maybe I'm even one that has been prone to do it at times you know we, we sometimes play with terms and we play with words uh, and I've been known to do that you know it, there's really seems like it for us at least a big difference uh, to say that someone is displeased with you that's a little bit softer than saying that someone is angry with you you know you ever notice that you ever notice how we kind of do those type of things? Okay, maybe you don't. You notice how I kind of do those type of things? My wife probably says yes. You know how many times we as parents, Brother Mason, have uh, corrected our kids or uh, perhaps there's been a little disruption in the marital life between husband and wife and then maybe that spouse or that kid told someone else, maybe it was another uh, immediate family member, how that, you know what, they're angry with me. And uh, we're very quick to step in to try to soften the edge of how blunt that may be and say, honey, I'm not angry with you. I'm just displeased with you. We've all done it in some time or another, try to take an edge off something, being just displeased with you. We're, we're trying to soften the, uh, the rigidness of that word angry, being angry with someone. There's, angry just seems to be real, a real straightforward word, you know. It doesn't trim the hedges or the bushes. It just split the tree in half, you know. It's just angry. But it's softened a little bit if you can just say, you know, dis, displeased. But whenever we look at the word angry, 
Amen. It's defined simply as a feeling or showing a strong displeasure. Uh, displeasure, if I might say, on any level, whether it be to the intensity of angry or whether it be something less than that is on the negative side of things. And whenever David is starting and beginning his psalm here, he's crying out to the Lord and David has a couple of concerns that he brings to the Lord in this prayer. Number one, he says, thou hast cut or cast us off. Thou hast cast us off. In other words, God, he said, we, whoever he was speaking for, but himself being included, uh, we feel a little bit for forsaken here. Uh, we feel a little detached from you. We, we have this feeling of separation. We're, we're void, might I even say. We're void of your presence. You've, you've left us. You've forsaken us. You're, you're not interacting with us. This was a concern of David to his God. You have cast us off. And then second concern that he came to the Lord with was this. He said, thou hast scattered us. Uh, seemingly, we're, we're a little bit disoriented in all of this. We, uh, you, you've not cult, cultivated that, that spirit of unity here, but it seems like there's division and there's disjointedness that's all around. We just feel that, that we have been scattered. And so David comes with these two concerns to the Lord. He's making his plea and his cry unto God. Uh, see, again, I'm already starting to work with this word stuff. I'm calling them concerns. You could even call them complaints, you know. So he comes with these concerns or these complaints into the Lord, observations maybe someone else would wish to use. But still yet, then it comes to the crux, if you will, of the matter. And there's something that's uncovered and that's the cause for the concern. The cause behind the complaints. The cause, if you will, behind the observations. And perhaps it came about by a self-examination of David himself. Amen. Or perhaps of the people that he was bespeaking of. But we understand this, that David follow that up with thou speaking to God thou hast been displeased thou hast been displeased there has been some action been some thought or perhaps an inaction that had displeased the Lord concerning David and concerning the people that he represented. Amen. So the cause of all this, they're saying, God, you've forsaken us. But God's saying, well, David recognized that I'm kind of displeased with you right now. Uh, David's saying, well, we feel scattered and disoriented and abandoned and separated from God. But whenever we consider that the Lord is a, a little displeased with us right now. Now, you know how it normally is, at least in my family. Uh, or I'd say by average how it normally is that in a relationship when someone is angry or to soften the punch, displeased, it doesn't normally promote an environment for togetherness. I cannot recall the last time that I seen two angry people that had scowls on their faces walking down the sidewalk holding hands. Displeasure just doesn't necessarily promote that type of environment. Uh, quite on the opposite, is it a little bit more standoffish, if you will, than normal? It's it's hard to go near one that that is the very source of your anger. I've never found myself to be angry with someone and find uh, uh, being compelled to be around that person. <laughs> and so it. it 
by no means is a surprise to me that they would feel forsaken or cast off because at this juncture in the road, the Lord is displeased with them. And perhaps even the offender, you know how we are as offenders sometimes. Perhaps the offender is thinking in their mind, you know what, they just really need to get over it. You know, sometimes we feel like that we were totally legitimate in what we did and legitimate in our reasoning. But could it be that that person has a legitimate reason for being upset with you? It's not just some fable or something that they've surmised in their own mind, but they have a legitimate reason to be upset with you. And if that be the case, then there must be some type of amends that need to be made. Can someone say amen? David even sums it up after this self-examination. He asked of God, and no doubt this was going to require something of himself. But he said, oh, Lord, if you will, oh, turn thyself to us again. Turn to us again. And David says, I can't stand this feeling of being cast off. I can't stand this feeling of being separated from God. I, I want that relationship that we had before uh, I did, that before you, you was displeased with me, before I found the displeasure of the Lord. Uh, and our focus for this evening, the next little while, is not totally concentrated here in, the, in Psalms chapter number 60, but our focus is not on how to correct the wrong whenever we find the displeasure of God, but our concentration for the next little while is how to prevent some of the wrongs from ever happening. How to stay on the side of God that isn't the displeasure of God. How to stay on the side of the master in good favor, might we say, with the Lord. But in order to do that tonight, we need to view some scriptures where the Bible plainly says uh, that the Lord was displeased that the Lord found displeasure with people, their actions or their inactions. And whenever we understand, you know, sometimes you learn about what not to do, amen, by learning what to do or vice versa. So whenever we learn what God is displeased with, what he frowns upon, what he looks down upon, then we can mark those as things to avoid on our list in order to stay in the favor of God. And someone say amen. So there's several occurrences in the scripture, amen, that the Bible relays to us the idea that such and such happened and that displeased the Lord. There are episodes through God's word where he shared with us where he was, here it comes, angry. Yeah. God, angry with his people. There are things that he even spoke of in his word. He termed it as this, that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Those are things that would have displeased God. So primarily though tonight, we want to look at the things that, if we could use the term, displeased the Lord. Genesis 38 and verse number 8 this evening, there is a story that is being told here. I wish to pluck just a few verses out of it. But Genesis 38 and verse 8, the Bible says, And Judah said unto Onan, Go in unto thy brother's wife and marry her. And raise up seed to thy brother. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his. And it came to pass when he went in unto his brother's wife that he spilled it on the ground, lest that he should give seed to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord 
wherefore he slew him also. The Bible is sharing with us the story here. Judah has three sons. He has already given this lady Tamar unto his firstborn son by the name of Er. We don't know exactly what it is that Er did, but he made an heir. All right. He did wickedly, the Bible says, in the sight of God. And as a result of that, the Lord struck him dead. And then, as the custom was of that day, a leverate marriage was this, spoken of in Deuteronomy 25, that if a man died not having a child from his wife, that his brother next in line to him would take his wife, have a child, and that child would be reared and raised in the name of the deceased father or the deceased brother however you wish to look at it and so that was the custom that Judah was following here he was given the second son Onan unto this lady Tamar so that Onan uh, they could have a child and that child would bear the name of his deceased brother it was the custom of that day we see it in Deuteronomy 25 it is also alluded to in Matthew 25 where the Sadducees come trying to tempt the Lord and they say Lord uh, there is a man who had a wife and he had six other brothers besides himself and, and Lord that he had him and he died before he could have a child and then the second took her and he died didn't have no child and the third took her all the way to the seventh in the resurrections whose wife is she going to be and I was all speaking about the, the, the Leverite marriage and the custom of that day by the way the Lord told the Sadducees hey in the resurrection you do not understand we don't marry nor give in marriage amen we are known just even as the angels that was his words was spoken to him so this is a Leverite marriage that is being spoken of so Onan whenever he's entering into this relationship with Tamar he's going in with his eyes wide open He's not entering into this relationship blindsided. He understands that if there is a child that is to come as a result of their union, that child is going to carry the name of its deceased, its deceased, his deceased brother. He understands that very well. And according to Deuteronomy 25, we understand that if he wanted to, he could have refused even entering into this relationship. He didn't have to. He could have refused. And yes, he would have bore a reproach as a result of doing so. But no one had his feet to the fire. This was just a common practice. He did not have to follow through with it. Yet we don't see that Onan openly refused from doing this as well. Amen. He had a choice. Everybody say a choice. He had a choice in the matter. And so he enters into this relationship knowing, Sister Craig, that the seed that would come and the child that would be birthed from this now my wife is not going to be my child. He's going to have my brother's name upon him. When he walks through the streets, he won't be known as mine. He'll be known as my brother's. He will go, I will invest food in him. I will invest resources in him. I will clothe him, I will protect him, but he won't be called mine. He'll be called my brother's. He knows if his brother's wife is to get pregnant after this time, that that firstborn will bear the name, not his name, but the name of his deceased brother. And the Bible tells us that Onan goes on and proceeds in this relationship with Tamar. 
Amen. And notice very quickly that Onan, and I'm trying to keep this PG, if PG 13 tonight, all right, that Onan doesn't have any objection to having intercourse with this woman. He's not objecting that at all. Not objecting it one bit. Amen. But the Bible speaks, and you can read the terminology, that he withdraws from her just prior to seed issuing forth. Why? The Bible plainly tells us, lest that he should give seed to his brother. He stopped in the completion of the act in the matter. If by chance he'll give seed and there will grow in that womb and he'll give birth to a child that he'll invest time in, give resources for, allow protection over, and it never be called his own, but be called somebody else's. Number one point tonight, the displeasure of the Lord. The Lord was displeased. Listen clearly this evening. The Lord was displeased with a man who wanted to limit his service when his service was going to exceed self and extend to somebody else. Let me say again, you're gonna have to ride with me here this evening. The Lord was displeased with a man who wanted to limit his service when his service was going to exceed self and extend to somebody else. Onan did not have any objections with the former event that was taking place, the, the preliminaries, if you will, of all of his actions of taking that woman into a room in line with her. He had no problem with that because that served some self-gratification for him. But where he drew the line is where something would have been born in a womb that he still would have invested in, still would have given himself to, still would have clothed and fed, yet it would not be known as his or credit be given to him, but given to somebody else. Someone say amen. <laughs> he didn't mind giving whenever that giving somehow supported him. But whenever the giving that was required would no longer, per se, support him, undergird him, honor or bring honor to him, that's where he drawed the line. In other words, God was displeased with a man that would not work without the credit or the recognition being given. Onan, as I said, knew this whole scenario right up front. This was the case. He knew this right up front. He knew that if Tamar would have a child, it would not be accounted as his. But he had the spirit that I cannot allow myself to invest in a life that will always be recognized by the name of my deceased brother. I can't allow myself to invest in something that I don't get the credit, that I don't get, if you will, the recognition for. Someone say amen. That displeases the Lord. The Bible says that he went on and he served until, look at it now, look at the scenario in Genesis 38, that Onan served, he acted, until it wasn't going to benefit him anymore. Someone hear me? 
he was engaged, he was involved until the pendulum swung and now it wasn't going to benefit him anymore. I'm going to give to something that I'm not going to get anything from. Anything more in return. If I could say it like this, Onan had a spirit of entitlement. This is what I deserve. This is what I should receive. Can I say this evening that sometimes we find ourselves in the displeasure of the Lord because we run the same meal as Onan runs that God, I'll render my services, I'll render myself to you as long as it benefits me. As long as there's some kickback in the coffer for me and what I'm doing, what I'm saying, where I'm going, what I'm teaching, as long as my praise and my worship and my sacrifice and my dedication to your house has some type of kickback, God, I'll serve. But if there's ever a time that I invest in something that I don't get recognition for or I invest in something where there's no feedback in my trough, then God, that's where I I draw the line. Honey, if that's the type of relationship we somehow harbor with the Lord, God is displeased with that. It's a spirit of entitlement that says since I do this, then I should get this. And since I go here or since I allow my time to be invested in this, then God, you should certainly by all means do this. I mean, don't you see what I have done? Don't you see what I have invested? I wonder, you know, I, I love coming into a service and worshiping the Lord. And I like whenever that ebb and flow happens. That I honor him and he turns back around and honors me. Man, I love that. I love to be able to sing praises and lift up holy hands and all of a sudden these bumps come up on my arms and hair stands on the back of my neck and I feel the presence of the Lord. I love that. And then I love it whenever it gets man all out of hand. And before you know it, there's not just one or two, but a whole congregation is doing that. And before you know, this thing has erupted. And you know what? I can, man, just think if you were the one that led the way in that service. Man, I put forth some rich praise and rich and nobody's doing anything until I started engaging and everybody followed suit. And if we don't watch ourselves, we think, I tell you what, they're thanking God and everything for the service tonight, but bless God, I know I put my best foot forward and I really engaged and I wonder why anybody says, hey, I tell you what, we really appreciate that you really got in tonight. That really broke, no, 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 no. That doesn't happen every time, but it shouldn't discourage me from going on and bringing in my investment and bringing in my service and bringing in my worship because there will be times I'll invest and there will be no return. But I've said it a thousand times, God keeps good records. And if there's no return today, rest assured that it's being laid up somewhere and will be given you at the appointed time that it needs to be given to you. To do it any other way is to be a displeasure unto God. In 2 Kings 5, we read of the story of Elisha and his servant Gehazi. What has just taken place and happened is that Naaman, a leper, has been cleansed. They went down to the waters. He's been cleansed. Naaman has brought gifts. He's brought some changes of garment. He's brought some medals, if you will, to give unto Elisha 
Because by the instruction of Elisha, the voice of the Lord through the servant of Elisha, he's been made whole. This was a captain of hosts, Naaman was. He was a reputable man. He had a lot of things going for him except for this flaw. He was a leper, Scripture says. And so he wanted to show his appreciation and honor Elisha with all these things. And you know what Elisha said? No. There's his old servant went behind the ear of Gehazi <laughs> sitting there. Master, what in the world are you doing? He's offering changes. Man, we're, we're, we're talking about some high stuff here back in those days. Changes of garments. I know some of you got closets full, but just to have a garment to change into is something for them. He said, have changes of garments and, and some metals. Well, I don't, no, 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 no. Elisha says no, and he sends them on. You know what? Something got into the old crawl of Gehazi. And I really don't know how instrumental he was in this whole miracle thing anyway because I don't read much going on with Gehazi in this scenario. But the Bible says that Gehazi then went and followed after Naaman after he left, hollered at them. Naaman came down off of his, off of his horse and his chariot and asked if everything was well. He said, yeah, everything's well. And Gehazi starts making up this story. Well, you know, just as soon as you left, there were some men that came and, and we could really use a couple changes of garment. We could really use, you know, a, a wedge, if you will, or a shekel, if you will, of that gold if, if you, or some of that silver, a talent, if you will. And then Naaman says, well, take two talents of silver. And take those changes of garments. And they took it back to his house. What was Gehazi doing? Gehazi could not somehow realize that God would use his master so tremendously for this person's life and that he didn't get anything in exchange. And Gehazi says, well, this just doesn't seem fair. So he runs after the man of God. He gets some of those things. He comes back to the house where Elisha was. Elisha says, hey, Gehazi, where'd you go? What are you talking about, Elisha? I've been here all the time. He said, did not my heart go with you? Whenever you ran for Naaman, I went with you. What was Gehazi's problem? He, wanted he had a sense of entitlement, like something was owed to him because of the way in which they served and the way in which they give. Amen, not to get anything in return. Amen, that displeased the Lord. He says, you want something? The, the leprosy that was upon Naaman, let it be upon you and your generations for the years to come. Because to try to get gain by just giving unto God, amen, is a displeasure to the Lord. There's times he gives back, but he don't want us to begrudge the times that nothing comes back. Amen. Numbers chapter 11 and verse number 1. The Bible states these words. And when the people complained, everybody say complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it. And his anger, yes, it says anger, was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. Now understand the setting here. The children of Israel has just left the wilderness of Sinai. There was all kinds of wildernesses by different names. And they just left the wilderness of Sinai. Now they have come. The Spirit have led them to the wilderness of Paran. Here they are. They're situated, and as it would be each time that they left and then they pitched their tents anew, 
They would set up the tabernacle of Moses, the tabernacle in the wilderness where the, where the Ark of the Covenant was housed and then all the tribes would encircle around about that tabernacle. There'd be three tribes on each side, to the north, to the south, to the east and the west, three tribes with the tabernacle being right in the center and all the other tribes surrounding it. And the Bible says that the Lord was displeased when the people complained as a matter of fact the Lord was so displeased in this episode the Bible says that his anger was kindled to the point that a literal fire burned among them the Bible says the Lord burnt among them and consumed them well who are them it's referring back to those who complained. Let's go a step further though. Notice exactly where it burnt or consumed them. This is bad English right here, but watch it. Where is them? Where is them located? Note the phraseology of scripture, them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. Being that the tabernacle of God was in the center of all the tribes and they encircled it, being that the Ark of the Covenant was in that tabernacle, if you will, the presence of God was in the center of the tribes with them encircling it, the presence of God then was in the innermost part of the camp. That's where the presence of God was. While the uttermost part of the camp would be those portions farthest away from the presence of God. Someone say amen. Number two, the displeasure of the Lord. The Lord was displeased when people on the fringe of the camp complained. No, 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 you don't understand. His displeasure was birthed from the fact that these people were as far as away from the dwelling of the Lord, as far away from the house of God, as far away from the presence of God, that they could be and still yet be regarded as being in the camp. Brother Zach McGee, God was displeased that people wanted to be considered in the camp but be as close as they can to being out of the camp and still be considered in the camp. And you know what? All of the complaints were coming from those that were living on the fringe. Someone say amen. So he's displeased that there's complaints coming from people that's living on the fringe of the camp, the furthest from God, the furthest from God's house. Can someone say amen? Could you imagine them complaining about what they were presently experiencing? Could you imagine, oh God, being at the uttermost part saying, you know what, I just don't feel God like I used to. Well, duh. You know, it's been a while since I've seen the glory of the cloud. 
You know, it's easier to see that whenever you're closer to God's house and closer to God's presence. Sometimes they were complaining over things that they had control over in their own life, yet trying to pin, if you will, the tail on God for, hey, you're just not living up to what I thought you were. Hey, that's not the problem. There's complaints coming from people on the fringe of the church. The friends, the uttermost part, See, the people on the fringe wanted this. They wanted the effects of being at the door of the tabernacle while remaining in a long-distance relationship with him. Uh They offered their complaints. God says, I'm not pleased with that. I'd even dare say this evening, from my reading of Scripture and the Bible, that the habitual complainers are normally not those in the innermost circle closest to the presence and closest to the tabernacle, but it's those who haphazardly live those lives on the fringe just so they can still be recognized as being in the camp. I dare to say, Bishop, over the 20 plus years that you've pastored the assembly, that most of the complaints came not from inner dwellers, but uttermost dwellers. Someone say Amen. And the Bible says that God's fire, his anger was kindled and it burned among them, among those that were in the uttermost, among those who were on the fringe, among those who were complaining on the fringe. He was burning, all right. They really wanted him to burn, but not in the way that they hoped he burned. You know, we said before, you know, you, you, you... in Isaiah chapter 6, whenever he said, Isaiah said that they took a hot coal off thy altar and he put it to my lips and we have uh, went along that line before. You know, you can't complain about a hot coal not touching your lips, about it becoming a cold coal. And you say, God, you've touched my lips with a cold coal when in reality you've got to be close to the altar to get a hot coal. Someone, I know... God's house is important. I know we got evangelists and people in our nation today in this society and they're talking about, oh, God's going to send one long distance. He's going to send one long distance between here and that back door as long as you stay faithful to the house of God. Amen. Second Samuel chapter number 11 and verse 25. The, the, the displeasure of the Lord. I want to see what he's displeased with so I can stay away from that. So I can be in his favor. Second Samuel 11 and verse 25. The Bible says, Then David said unto the messenger, Thus shalt thou say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee. Now he's speaking this to Joab. Let not this thing displease thee, for the sword uh, devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city and overthrow it, and encourage thou him. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. We'll get into this probably before I finish tonight. But what's interesting to me David concerning this whole episode has just told Joab Joab let not this thing displease thee God sums it up in the closure Joab I know he's telling you uh, don't worry about it no big deal don't let it displease you but the thing that David have done has displeased the Lord what this is the story of David and Bathsheba 
This is a story of a man who, who was staying home from battle when kings would go to battle. This is a story of a man that went to a balcony and looking out, he's seen a, a, a woman there, Bathsheba, that is bathing herself. He takes a lingering, if you will, glance, and he desires her, even asks about who she is, so on and so forth, until finally uh, he makes a, a plea and has her come to his house. Evidently, there are some relations that took place there that should have not taken place, in so much that Bathsheba sends word to David later, I am with child. Her husband has gone to war. David, understanding that she's with child, says, I got to find some way to cover all of this up. So what does he do? He sends word and he says, I want Joab, I want you to release Uriah for him to come home. Uriah comes home. Amen. He says, Uriah, won't you go down to your house? He sends a mess of meat after him. And he finds the next morning that Uriah has been sleeping at the king's door. Uriah, what in the world are you doing? You're home, boy. Won't you go home and just take a rest? He said, I can't do that whenever there's other men out on the battlefield. I can't do that whenever the Ark of the Covenant is out there. And so David spoke with him again that day. Got him a little bit drunk. He says, stay here today and tomorrow and then I'll send you home. Got him drunk thinking this guy's going to be a little bit lit up and he's going to go home and lay with his wife. Guess what? It didn't happen. Even a guy that was lit up, man, he still stayed true. And here he is. He stayed there at the king's gate, so on and so forth. And he did not go. And then he wrote a letter, David did, and he set it in the hands of Uriah. And he must have really trusted. You realize how much he must have trusted Uriah to send his own death message in Uriah's hand? He had that much trust that that boy wasn't going to read that letter. You want to talk about some trust? And yet he was willing to take him out of his life. Well, that's beside the point. But nevertheless, so he sends this letter and he sends it by the hand of Uriah and he sends it back to Joab. Now, Joab must be having some idea. Why in the world did he call over to Uriah back home? And he gets the message from David. Joab is the captain of David's host. Joab is the captain of David's army. They have an intimate relationship, if you will, with one another. And he says, Joab, he says, I want you to set Uriah in the hottest part of the battle. And whenever it gets really hot and intense, I want everybody to pull back so that he may be slain. Number three, a displeasure of the Lord. And I'll stay here just for a little while and I'll close. The, the, the Lord was displeased when a man, listen to me closely, when a man pulled another man into his sin, into his error. When a man pulled another man into his sin and into his error. David wanted Uriah removed, yes, from the scene, yes, and David was the mastermind of all of this scheme. Yes, he was. He was the mastermind of it. But he didn't want to do it by himself. So he pulls Joab into the scenario. He pulls Joab into this horrible plot. Joab's the captain of his army. Joab, if you will, is a servant of his. He's in a close, intimate relationship, Joab is, with David. And so David, look at this now. David is going to take advantage of Joab's loyalty. David's going to take advantage of Joab's relationship. No doubt Joab now knows firsthand what they are attempting to do. And he understands very plainly about what's about ready to happen is absolutely wrong. But you know what Joab's saying? He's saying to himself, I got to stay loyal to my relationship. I got to stay ro loyal to my king. I got to be stay loyal to my relationship. Can I just cut to the chase right here tonight and say that there isn't a relationship worth having that is going to foster error in your life. 
No, no, listen to me well. There's people that will tiptoe out of the church and they want to sin and they want to do air and do their own thing. And let me tell you what they'll do. They'll find people that they have relationship with that's still in the church and they'll start talking to them and beckoning to them and try to get them involved in the same air, in the same sin, in the same carnality. Honey, you don't have to stay loyal to that type of garbage. Garbage, you need to sever relationships. There is no relationship so important that you're willing to foster air in your life. Amen. Don't just jump on the bandwagon of wrongdoing just because Clyde, your best friend that you've been in church with for 15 years, did something. Notice the persuasive words of David to Joab. After this is done. Notice those words. Let not this thing displease you, Joab. It's not a big deal. There's really no way. I mean, a man's life is lost. Don't let this displease you because you had a hand in this, because you knew what was written in the letter, because you're the one that sat him in that hot spot of the battle. Don't let this thing displease you. And no doubt Joab is thinking it's gnawing at him in the back of his mind. Because understand that Uriah's life wasn't the only life that was taken that day. The Bible plainly says that there were other servants of David that died that day. Somebody hearing me? David wanted one man and by virtue of one one man he got even more of his servants than what he bargained for. Dead as a doornail. And that's got to be known at Joab's of mine. Amen. There's more than just Uriah at stake. There's other servants that fought a lot of battles, won a lot of wars for you, David. Amen. Don't let that displease you. Don't let that bother you. Maybe at that point, there's a consideration that has taken place. Amen. Joab, Joab, if I could speak to you, Joab, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many times David says, don't let it displease you. Ultimately, if the thing displeases God it should and ought to displease you can somebody hear me right now it doesn't matter if that person says hey they just kind of preach a little hard at the first apostolic church they don't know what they're talking about it's really no big deal or eternal matter let me tell you something right now friend if it displeases the word if it displeases the master I don't care what they say it should displease you Yeah, God wasn't pleased with David's adultery. Yes, he wasn't pleased with his plan to kill, and even the killing, if you will, of Uriah and those others who lost their lives in the crossfire of his, his vengeance upon Uriah. But I think something even more so that God was displeased with. God was displeased with David involving other people and using their relationship and their loyalty to him as leverage to do something wrong, to do something sinful, to do something corrupt. I want to stay on the favor of God. Don't play in other people's sin. Don't be an accomplice. Don't be a supporter. Don't bid them Godspeed. Bible tells us be careful what we bid Godspeed.
Sister McGee, we've set our hands on people sometime and gave them the blessing of God's speed concerning where they're presently living their life and how they look. Don't you look wonderful? Don't you look gorgeous? And they were everything far from the mind of God had for them. You know what you're doing? You're sanctioning their lifestyle and what they're doing right now by saying those words. You better believe I'm right because I'm standing on the word of God and it's right. You're bidding them God's speak. Romans 14 and verse 12, the Bible says, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Verse 13, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. David! You pulled another one in. You became that occasion for Joab. He used his loyalty, used his relationship to secure that. And that displeases, that displeases God. If you can stand with me today. Don't get other people in your air. Please, if you want to sin, just go do it all by yourself. Now, let, let me shave close tonight because I did right before I came out here. My wife brought my razor. <laughs> Don't try to get other people to miss church over some flimsy reason because you're going to. I'm talking about something... It's not something that hasn't happened around here. It has. Just because you have somewhere you want to go, an event you want to attend, and you want to go there, and then you start pulling on the heartstrings of other people in the church, hey, we would have a good time, and it's church night. We don't need to try to get a majority and somehow push over the flow of whether or not we're going to have church. If we can get enough people going, maybe they'll just cancel it all together. Honey, that is a devil's working in your life. I'm here to tell you, if you want to go in air along with that way, hey, you go do it all by yourself. Don't you be pulling on God's people that want to be in church and be faithful into his house regardless. Stay true. God's displeased with that type of activity. Leave other people alone. Just leave them alone. Because what happens, you'll, you, you know, when you start going down those roads of air, you'll prey on people that you are friends with. You'll pray on people that you think you might have some sway with. Because in reality, you actually may be a leader and have power of influence. But what are you influencing them toward? I might have some cloud at the First Apostolic Church and have some friends, and I talk to enough of them, they'll go along with me either. You know what happens, really, what you're trying to do and all that? You're trying to relieve the conviction of your choice by spreading it over 10 or 15. So that nobody can point a finger, they got to point several fingers. Why don't you just leave everybody else alone? If you want to sin, if you want to err, do it all by yourself. God's displeased with that type of activity. And don't brush off the seriousness of it. You better let those people be. 
Because if you'll let those people be, those may be some of the very same people that's standing there whenever you decide to come back home. Whenever you're ready to quit your silliness. You're vacillating concerning the things of God. You might need those people there to be right back home. Because you know what the sad measure of the whole scenario is? I've seen people drag other people in their sin and error. And they got restored and the other one never did. Leave them alone. Hear me as the pastor. Hear me as the, throne, uh, as the voice of God. Leave them alone. It's the displeasure of God. I want his favor. So I want to avoid those three things we talked of tonight. I want to avoid those three things. I want to avoid the idea of that I'll give to the point as long as it's still benefiting me. But if I'm giving and it's benefiting somebody beside me, then hold on, God. Count me out. I want to avoid the idea of being a complainer. And it just happens to be I'm a complainer that's living on the fringe of the church, living on the fringe of God's presence at the uttermost, the furthest way that I can be from God. And I want to abstain from the idea of somehow gathering people to join me and using my relationship as leverage and their loyalty to me to have them dive off this same diving board into sin and error that I've chosen for my life I think I can make it a choice for their life that displeases God these altars are open tonight thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.